Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. Today is a very special recording. We are doing a joint Kraken here. Of course, many of you have so thoroughly enjoyed Riel's uh, presentation and the way he lays out um, his presentations. And I know a lot of you have been saying, you know, where's Dave been, all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, so many of you are also enjoying Riel's presentation uh, theme and the way he does his structuring and style as well. So what we decided to do today was a joint Kraken. However, to be very transparent with all of you, Riel picked the stories. He picked the lineup, essentially, because I know how much uh, how many of you in the comments have been saying as well. You really like his uh, his whether shorter or longer deep dive or brief summary analysis. And I don't want to uh, butcher that. Why? Uh, try and fix something if it ain't broken so without further ado how you doing today riel and we'll jump right into the the news and get right to it hey i'm fantastic dave super happy that uh you're here to join and, and even take the lead even though i i collected our stories you know this is your program your show you started all of this i'm just happy to join uh alongside you and yeah ready to get into it Awesome, I appreciate it. So first and foremost, what we will see here is that uh, according to Al Jazeera, and forgive me to those in the audience watching or listening, I'm a little bit rusty. It's been about a week or two since I've done a Kraken, but, and I certainly am trying to do my best to get to Riel's standard of this, but according to Al Jazeera, a world, uh, the world is one misstep away from nuclear annihila annihilation, according to the UN chief. Antonio uh, Guterres sounds a global alarm at the opening of the meeting to review a landmark nuclear weapons treaty. Uh, we see here here very briefly that nuclear threats emanating from the war in Ukraine, as well as in Asia and the Middle East, have put the world one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation, the UN Secretary General said. Now, personally, in my humble perspective, I know a lot of you like to get my, my take on this. I don't think this is something we should simply take with a grain of salt, but I don't think this is something we should lose sleep over either. And I say this because there was something, a presentation that I personally, uh, this is where I go in my mind, did for the members uh, a couple days ago as of the day we're recording this. And it showed that even as I was sifting through certain articles and newspaper clippings throughout the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there was always the, re, um, the regurgitating concept of the potential threat of nuclear war. That fear-mongering angle was always there. Now, granted, you could say to play devil's advocate, Dave, the context in which you're stating that was far different than the context and the landscape, uh, you know, as, and the, we could say, political climate compared to now. And I, I understand that, but I also think, in my humble opinion, that we should always be vigilant of the extra, the extra unnecessary icing on the cake that's added to a story, whether it's for clicks, views, and of course, for, we could say from, for those interested in the metaphysical side of things, a grander archetypal energetic, we could say, influx to be directed somewhere per se. But what do you think, Riel? Any, uh, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I would say we should take it with a grain of salt, but also pay close attention to what they are saying. And this this story, I, I chose this as the uh, beginning of our journey today because this is like a nuclear annihilation of the entire planet when we're talking about all the emergencies that we're going through between the climate, between the energy, between war. It's like right off the bat, it was only two weeks ago that the UN chief said that monkeypox is, is a global health emergency concern. So it's like these things are, are never ending ongoing, but at the same time, we're talking about these stories because we're not, we're trying to do the opposite of pushing fear. Uh, we're trying to help us understand and navigate these news stories so that we don't succumb to the, the narrative of just living our lives in fear. We wanna be able to break down these stories and understand them with the context of everything 
so that we're more at ease and and you know at peace with sifting through this and, and navigating the matrix i couldn't agree more and with that uh with that said let's jump to our next story which is i believe from the jerusalem post and the floor is yours real Right. And so for our audience, we're going to be going up. We're going to be jumping back and forth between stories. So Dave is going to do one. I'm going to do one. Sometimes he does two in a row. Sometimes I do two in a row. We're going to try to work out out a flow and right on. So for the record, today is August 2nd, 2022. And so that all of our stories are basically about from the end of July, from August 1st and August 2nd. So this next story we've got is Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al Zawahiri killed in CIA drone strike. Uh, he was the leader of Al-Qaeda and one of the world's most wanted terrorists who oversaw the attacks of September 11th, 2001. And this article says that U.S. officials speaking on the condition of anonymity said Zawahiri was killed when he came out on the balcony of his safe house in Kabul on Sunday morning and was hit by Hellfire missiles from a U.S. drone. Wow. Okay. I think that, Dave, you've got the next story that's going to complement this one. Sounds good. So according to Al Jazeera, U.S. killing al-Zawahiri in Kabul, a violation of the Doha Pact, according to the Taliban. The Taliban condemns the drone strike, calling it a clear violation of international principles and the 2020 Doha Agreement. Now, here's what's quite interesting about all of this. We see over here that, <clears throat> according to Al Jazeera again, um, the killing of al-Zawahiri, an Egyptian surgeon who had a $25 million bounty on his head for the September 11, 2001 attacks, is the biggest blow to the armed group since its founder Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011. Now, what's interesting about all of this is that I can't help but think, and I'm not trying to demonize any one particular intelligence agency relative to the, the, the policy makers that, come, that present said um, stories and take the questions pertaining to the briefings they've received from the intelligence community to any particular country in specific. However, it speaks to me personally with respects to, not in an emotional manner, but rather in the intel world, once they're, you know, once they're done with you, that's it. You're, you're not needed. You're, you're knocked off the chessboard, so to speak. Now, who is they and who, you know, who's to determine uh, if that's ju morally justified or otherwise, that's not for me to say. But I think ultimately this speaks to me on a grander scale of, again, it's either you got a, a place on the chessboard or you're going to get knocked off. So I'm not trying to sort of be like, hey, folks, that's the way reality is. But at the same time, if we're calling a spade a spade within the context of the reality we're currently in, I think that would be suffice to describe it as that. Anything, real you'd want in to jump in In addition to that, yeah, I can't. I was astonished to see that Al Jazeera is referring to him as a surgeon. Like what a what a way to humanize somebody that's involved with things that we're told are so heinous and genocidal. Uh, and to say, yeah, he was a surgeon. It's like, oh, wow, I did not know that. And also the timing of this, which we will get into in the next couple of stories, the timing of why they did this seems to be a, a bit of a desperate distraction at the very least. And as, as we go on, you will see why. Um, uh, so the next story that we've got is uh, from Al Jazeera, published on August 2nd. Oh, my apologies, Dave. You've got the next one. I, I jumped ahead. Oh, no the, worries. Yeah. No worries. Well, this is interesting because, again, to me, this speaks uh, from my perspective, from an analytic, a strategical manner, um, slightly differing from Riel's deep dives, which are far better than my own, in my opinion. I view the Pelosi story here as quite peculiar relative to the, the global landscape 
of strategy, and that is essentially the fact that according to Al Jazeera, quote, if she dares, China warns Nancy Pelosi against visiting Taiwan. The foreign ministry threatens, quote, serious consequences, end quote, if the U.S. House Speaker makes a trip to the self-ruled island claimed by Beijing. Again, as of the time of this recording, uh, to Riel and, and, and my knowledge, um, there have been uh, fighter jets deployed around certain, um, we could say, isles or straits of the Taiwanese land and all of this. And again, it, it speaks to this concept of you one one individual moves upon forward sometimes they want to bring you know a bishop or a king uh, excuse me a bishop or a horse in and um or a knight if you will and uh hoping that the other player is not gonna we could say counter and for the longest time if you're playing chess against someone who never really countered every time you made an aggressive move you're not going to think the next time that that a move is going to be um is going to be genuinely countered that opponent may say well we're going to move our pawn forward and you say to you you laugh at yourself and go well they haven't done it every other time i've played with them so why would they do it now again i would say in that regard we shouldn't rule that out particularly because we see here that china says its military will never quote sit idly by end quote if the u.s house of representative speaker nancy pelosi were to visit taiwan the self-ruled island claimed by Beijing. Now, again, um, the Chinese foreign minister spokesperson, uh, Xiao Lian, hopefully I didn't butcher that, uh, reiterated warnings on Monday saying, quote, there will be serious consequences if she insists on making the visit, end quote. He did not spell out any of those specifics per se. Again, um... The fact that he even said, and I quote, we're fully prepared for any eventuality, end quote, I, I, I'm going to be very honest with you if, with you folks. From a strategical perspective, if we're under the understanding that, again, there's a, a grander archetypal, um, we could say, coalition of fluid movements at hand, whether we're aware of it or not, whether things are constantly changing in real time or not, it does beg the question to me personally as to why they really had to... Uh, to me personally, I, I, I sort of see this as sticking a thumb in the eye of, of, of China, and I don't necessarily, I'm not, to be fair as well, I, I, to quote a good friend that said to me, there's a difference between um, rationalization and justification. I'm not trying to justify China's, um, you know, sudden defense deployment of these, these fighter jets because Pelosi went there. As a matter of fact, I'd rather have both sides do neither. But because of the situation we're currently in, it just makes me think, why are they sticking the thumb in the eye of... Uh, of, of China, particularly given the context of the Taiwanese affairs, given even recent history. So that that's my take on it. But um, what do you Absolutely, think? Dave. And we even got the uh, warnings from the U.S. military advising against Pelosi doing this. So it's yeah, at the very least sticking an eye in the eyes of China. Absolutely. And it's fascinating, as we're doing this in real time, Al Jazeera's breaking news stories is that visiting honors U.S. commitment to Taiwan's democracy. And uh, Nancy Pelosi lands in Taiwan despite Chinese threats. Pelosi to meet President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday. So, like, these are all, like, this is a huge monumental, this is almost like the geopolitical uh, consequence or was triggered from what I would suggest is the Georgia Guidestone and the CERN. Uh, particle collider activating those events are have are what basically led to pelosi doing this obviously there's much bigger context at play but it's almost like those were kind of like the the mark the beginning of a race and all of a sudden they're like yep full on let's go do it whether people agree with it or disagree with it but yeah it's on to the next one dave
I love it. Thank you so much for being here with me. This is fantastic. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it a ton. Uh, this is this one's yours, right? Right on. So next up, we have Russia designates Ukraine's Azov Regiment a terrorist group. The Supreme Court ruling allows for lengthy prison terms for the members of the battalion. Russia's top court has designated the Azov Regiment a former volunteer battalion with far-right roots that was officially integrated into Ukraine's army, a terrorist organization. Now, this is also very significant because the Canadian military has been under fire for their involvement with not only funding but training the quote-unquote volunteers that became the Azov Battalion. At least they're saying that they weren't aware that this group had any uh, affiliation with Nazi ideologies, but, you know, so I'll just read this, this article or this piece from the article. Azov has denied it adheres to Nazi ideology as a whole, but Nazi symbols such as the swastika and SS regalia are rife on the uniforms and bodies of its members. And, you know, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go into that one, but it's just like, wow, things are really ramping up tit for tat. We see all the time that the West calls certain other organizations, terrorists and all that. And here Russia is doing the same thing to them. So if I may add my two cents before we move on to the next story for me, Instead of a long ramble, it's very simple the way I perceive this. Regardless of one's view on the situation, I think regardless of the perspective one holds truly, we have to keep in mind, at least in my view, it's not what it is, it's how it looks. Very simple. That can go in either direction with respects to your perspectives, to those watching or listening. And again, it's not for us to to tell you what to think, but rather let's take a look and analyze and go from there. So um, with that said, the next story, I believe this is mine, uh, Riel? Uh, I think actually I've got it. Oh, you take it then. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I've, yeah, I've got the ones that I've, I've listed and then, uh, yeah, right on. So uh, this one from Al Jazeera, Pope Francis to visit Kazakhstan for the Interfaith Conference. And this is coming after the pontiff said he will ease his travel. The Vatican confirms an upcoming Central Asia, Asia visit where he may meet with the Russian Orthodox Church's leader. Now, this is very interesting to me because this comes right on the heels of the Pope coming to Canada, where he is doing his uh, the six-day trip to apologize for the church's role in residential schools and uh, arguably uh, mass cultural genocide. So uh, it is also interesting because for those that don't know, Kazakhstan actually is... Um, in some circles, they say that it's the new, it's the headquarters of the new world order in the sense that it's the Eastern world order. So Kazakhstan's capital city, Astania, which is now called Nur Sultan, which is named after their leader who was in charge for 30 plus years. Kazakhstan just had a revolt where they kicked out all of the Nur Sultan uh, leaders, essentially, because he, they didn't have democracy. He was just in charge for 30 years, but they, Essentially, the city of Kazakhstan was chosen as the place where they have um, every three years meetings for the religions of the world to come together to try to create unity and harmony. And that's just a little tidbit about why Kazakhstan is so significant. But it's cool to see that the Pope is continuing to do this. But I can't help but think about the agenda of creating arguably a new world religion based on the UFO phenomena. And so I'm curious to see how his meeting here will play out. 
I'd also like anything to, th- to add on. Feel free. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I also wanted to throw in very quickly for those that are more into, again, the esoteric metaphysical uh, aspect of things. I find it quite telling that we see here that Patriarch Kirill has justified Moscow's war in Ukraine on spiritual and ideological grounds, calling it a, quote, metaphysical battle with the West. Again, I'm not going to take too much time because it's a Kraken segment to delve into that, but to those that really see the or, or uh, subscribe to the, the potential concept of there being something outside of the physical that ripples into the physical, I think that's a very interesting statement to, um, to, to look into uh, in that regard or, or to interpret in the way that you uh, respectfully see fit to each, uh, each of those listening or watching. So... Um, the next story here is this, uh, let's see here, is that according to Yahoo.com, Prince Charles has been rocked by reports of $1.2 million in charity donations from Bin Laden's family. I'm going to leave that there. Riel, you want to jump in? Well, it's interesting. I'm trying to say other words other than interesting, but it's um, this is connected to the previous reports of Prince Charles receiving millions of dollars in cash from Qatari officials, which uh, they did an investigation, a little investigation said, nope, there's nothing wrong about it. He reported it. So that's fine. And at the, so this report comes out at the same time that they attacked the alleged mastermind behind 9-11. Like talk about tying up loose ends with that assassination, with that, you know, breach in the Doha agreement which was created from the Afghans and the Americans. And to have this, it's, yeah, this, this, we could do so much speculation, but that's not what we're doing here on the Kraken. We're just reporting the mainstream news with a little bit of context to help us understand what's going on. I I couldn't agree more. The next story here is that, according to ctvnews.ca, Prime Minister Trudeau is routinely offered portraits of himself as gifts, according to an analysis. Prime Minister Trudeau has been offered the gift of his own likeness some 17 times since becoming Prime Minister, including once by the President of China. The portraits, along with a myriad of vases and wine bottles and Star Wars paraphernalia, are amongst the more than 400 gifts, each worth more than $200 a pop, that Trudeau has declared to the Federal Ethics Commissioner since late 2015. Um... An analysis of the listing shows more than 140 gifts were offered to his spouse, Sophie, or their or to their kids, while 110 of those came from other countries as heads of state or governments. Now, I want to be very clear that this my perspective that I'm about to take transcends politics, or at least I hope it will, with respects to the concept of, I would say this if this was conservative, liberal, independent, you name it. When there was the military, we could say... Um, military industrial complex or rather the military media complex relative to that of the 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 derivations and directions allegedly given from the trilateral commission to certain bodies if you will we'll just leave it at that when they were freaking out about and i understand that the freaking out i just what i'm saying is we got to be consistent in the freaking out or else what's the point of reporting it but well that's the irony in it but anyways when trump received from kim jong-un that that big beautiful letter that he touted in his rallies and all that look i'll be honest whether you like trump or not personally myself i laughed because again the guy makes me laugh whether i like him or not that's not the point ultimately though where is the consistency for the media in the west because canadian media freaked out with trump and kim jong-un with that letter too 
everyone was saying, you know, you had these pundits on, on cable television, on legacy media channels saying, okay, well, you know, Trump, they, they, the think tanks found a way to get into him by just writing him nice letters. And if, you know, if Kim Jong-un and Putin found that it was nicely handwritten, Trump would love it. Look, I'm not saying that's not the case, but where is the outrage with respect to the consistency pertaining to Mr. Trudeau? That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to go in either direction. Just where is the consistent outrage when it seems like, unless I'm missing context, Trudeau received the same stuff Trump did. They're all handing gifts off to each other. Hey, take this. Hey, take that. Hey, pat each other on the back. Okay, let's go have a nice day. Like, again, if that doesn't also speak to the disconnect between them and us, I don't know what does, but that's my, that's my two cents. Absolutely, Dave. And I couldn't help but notice that just the number 17 in the regards to what that letter of the alphabet symbolizes on these other, uh, you know, greater, bigger picture things. And I've been trying to add a little bit of esoteric uh, reporting uh, when documenting these uh, letters and numbers that appear in these news articles. So that's just that that stood out to me. But I totally agree with your analysis and arguably the hypocrisy of it all. Couldn't agree more. You want to take this one? Uh, it's up. It's you and then me. Oh, sure. Speaking of which, according to CBC, yeah. <laughs> Prime Minister Trudeau and his family are on holiday in Costa Rica. His office says it consulted with the ethics commissioner about the coming holiday. Um, when you got to ask your your ethics commissioner if it's okay to take a holiday like that's it, yeah. well this is the thing in the sense that his, the actions of even going to ask the ethics commissioner if you can take a holiday speaks to okay if you're to me that that to me maybe my interpretation is incorrect but it speaks to what the heck are you freaking out about and if you're and if that's visible on the surface level from you know a couple of guys out here in in uh, in the province of Manitoba what the heck is going on behind the scenes that's that's where i go well, absolutely. And th there's a reason why I put those two articles back to back for you to report on, because it just they go together so perfectly. And just look at how many comments there are on that article. Just uh, that specific number. Like, what are the odds that that at this time in our, you know, that's just one of those beautiful synchronicities. But yeah, uh, it makes me wonder what sort of things are going to be happening in, in Canadian Parliament or legislation or things are expected to happen in the next two weeks where Oh, where's Trudeau? Oh, he's nowhere to be found. So we just got to monitor that as uh, things progress, which brings us to our next story. Uh, this is from Alberta, the uh, one of the uh, most populated provinces of Canada. Alberta government paid Dr. Dina Hinshaw record cash bonus in 2021. The chief medical officer of health received nearly 228000 in addition to her $363,000 salary. And this is you know uh, a bit mind-blowing as we hear every day about the recession and the inflation and the price of things and the struggle for regular canadians but let's just read a quote from this article and how they justify this the quote is the scale of the response to this unprecedented public health emergency required an extraordinary amount of additional work from the office of the chief medical officer the vaccine task force the pandemic response team and others, which is reflected on in, in the recent disclosure, says Ministry of Health spokesperson Mark Feldbush in an email last week. Uh, I just wanted to highlight here the word unprecedented because we they've been using that since the beginning of the pandemic, but I think technically that is incorrect because there's been a public health emergency every two years at the very least since like 2006. So that's just 
they, they, that's just one of those words that they try to use to say, we've never, we had no idea this was going to be happening. It's like, what about all the simulations? What about all the exercises? What about all the millions of dollars in the emergency preparedness plans that you go through? But anyway, so yeah, this is, you know, this kind of just made my jaw drop a little bit, but that's all I've got to say about this one. I truly could not agree more. I'm of the personal perspective that again, this starts to go into some, uh, we could say, um, perspectives and effects of people's personal lives pertaining to what we have all gone through uh, throughout the the last couple years pertaining to the pandemic and i genuinely believe for the sake of depending on where one resides you know age you know their views on the beep boop as it's called and all of that it's not for myself nor riel to sort of uh, jam into your heads respectfully uh or not respectfully rather what you should or shouldn't do in that regard so again make of this as you will truly and genuinely um, speaking of making something uh, as you uh, as you see fit, according to Al Jazeera, UN peacekeepers have opened fire in the DR Congo, causing several casualties. A Congolese authorities say that at least two people were killed as the United Nations blue helmets opened fire in the Democratic Republic of Congo's eastern region. Um, we see here that the incident took place on Sunday in the DRC's Beni territory as the troops of Monusco's intervention brigade crossed into the country from Uganda. Again, we see here that. It's again, to me, it speaks to a grander scale of, okay, we can talk all day about, you know, the concepts and mannerisms pertaining to the lead up of that shooting that occurred, who started it, who initiated, what actions may have caused a, you know, literal or metaphorical ripple into the fact that there was some, you know, uh, again, return fire in this regard. For me, if we scale it up to a grander scale of the sort of the, the macrocosm in, in this aspect, it speaks to the larger chess game of, again, if someone is playing, and I hate to have to even liken it, liken what we're viewing here, in my view at least, to a chessboard, but um, because I don't think that, again, any human life should be quote-unquote played with in any regard, but we see here ultimately that it seems as though to me personally, and I could be very wrong, that the chess pieces are being moved and what what is occurring right now... It, representative of that of the the whole um the whole planet the board would be the whole planet and what's occurring in the dr congo is something that may in fact be a multi-pronged strategy for any upcoming events whether deliberately planned or not and when i say upcoming events vaguely on purpose um for the sake of personal interpretation in a genuinely good faith way but ultimately it seems to be something that to me looks to be a, um, a potential um intelligence set up in a particular regard but again that is that is not data driven that is my humble perspective based on what i've seen in other forms of reporting to be very clear so i hope i'm wrong i hope that is not the correct uh, case of what's occurring but i want to throw my opinion in every so often because i know you folks like to hear it so anything uh, yeah we definitely missed your opinion dave so well <laughs> Thank you. yeah I, I did want to bring up how we uh i think it was two krakens ago where i actually had a specific little segment focusing on this situation in in the Congo. So to our audience, this is simply um, a compounding uh, uh, incident where there's been the, they were actually having anti-UN protests in the Congo. And that goes into a very deep thing about all the atrocities that uh, UN peacekeepers are allegedly uh, involved in, as well as uh, this the the violence and the the Congo the people of the DRC are very unhappy and we also have to look at the the DRC's involve um, role 
in a lot of other operations, whether it's mining, uh, that would probably be the most obvious one. It's also its geopolitical location involved with other conflict that's going around the world, um, as well as Lavrov from Russia was just in Congo. So that was another angle of things where the Russia's foreign minister was literally in that country doing a visit to try to get Congo to support what Russia is doing on the global scale. And at the same time, is it a coincidence that the UN peacekeepers are opening fire on, on Congolese citizens? Like it's, as you said, it's, it's a chessboard and it's very unfortunate because I've also, as you've always said, it's the innocents that, that suffer. It's, it's just the citizens that are caught in the middle of these uh, arguable proxy wars between these higher powers behind the scenes that exceed, that transcend government, that transcend the UN. Those are simply the, the actors that are perpetrating these events on the surface, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. But yeah, those are, those are my three cents. Okay, so next one, we have Myanmar's military leader extends state of emergency. Uh, Senior General Min Ong Palang quoted, stressing need to strengthen genuine and disciplined democratic system. And this story, we're sharing this because there are so many different states of emergencies that are being uh, executed right now, whether it's a climate emergency, energy emergency, and here we have I'll read the article. Myanmar's military leadership has announced it will extend the state of emergency in the country by six months. Uh, The ruling state administration council first declared a state of emergency after senior General Min Aung Hlaing seized power in a coup in February 2021, deposing the democratically elected government of Aung San Suu Kyi. And I personally, I don't know a lot about what's going on in that country. I you know, this is just one of those uh, situations that we're keeping tabs on. We're not, we don't have boots on the ground. I don't know what's going on. Um, but this is just another example of a country that is using a state of emergency to like literally extend its power where they can do pretty much anything that they want constitutionally because they're throwing the constitution out the window, whatever Myanmar's constitution is. But any, I, any I thoughts to share, agree, Dave? I couldn't agree with you more. I don't want to comment because truthfully, I. I don't want to ramble on with nonsense, particularly given that I don't know much about this. So I don't want to comment other than, again, interesting to see another nation extending these uh, emergency capabilities, uh, irregardless of what one thinks or interprets of that. Make of that as you will. That That's my It that's is my interesting to note that uh, about a month and a half ago, there is a legislative piece that was passed in uh, in in Canada where they were debating they were talking about something that was completely irrelevant to this, but they just happened to like, okay, and now let's fund some money and send it to Myanmar. So we have countries from the West that are sending foreign aid to Myanmar and whether it's going to the military or, you know, the democratically elected leaders is kind of up in the air, but it's interesting that this state of emergency comes on the heels of them receiving aid from Western countries. So there's a lot of, context to understand here i couldn't agree with you more i couldn't agree with you more and speaking of which according again to al jazeera the philippines 
uh, speaking to that of the, the larger, grander scale of alleged strategy at hand, uh, whether on the surface or behind the scenes, the Philippines has no intention of rejoining the International Criminal Court. Um, according to Marcos Jr., former President Duterte uh, withdrew from the International Criminal Court in 2019 after an investigation was launched into his anti-drug campaign. Uh, however, they have said the Philippines has no plan to rejoin the court, um, said newly elected President Ferdinand Marcos Jr., a decision that supports his predecessor's stance but denies the demands of human rights activists. Now, um, what's interesting about all of this is that, again, for me personally, from a grander scale of things, I look at this as there seems to be some behind-the-scenes force that, um, and I don't mean to be overtly vague here, but a behind-the-scenes force that has lost its ability to control and stabilize certain nations relative to that force's agenda what that force is what its agenda is i don't know but it seems to me that this is a, a microcosm of that macrocosm type apparatus or operation occurring again as i say on um on the member side of things even in uh, normal episodes and all of that you kind of like dropping a rock into a pond there's a ripple effect i view it as that i could be wrong but that's what i see here in this particular regard um riel you want to jump in at all Absolutely. And some more nuts and bolts side of this, I see it as a country that is rejecting a globalist order that it, the International Criminal Court obviously is supposed to persecute crimes committed internationally. But, you know, the Philippines and uh, with the previous president Duterte, obviously having committed a lot of crimes, clearly they, his family, they want nothing to do with getting in trouble. So they're just going to straight up reject it. But at the same time, I would compare this similar to what's going on in Brazil with Bolsonaro, who these leaders see more that they're more interested in national, like nationality. So to me, this is like a national power that is not interested in playing along with a globalist power. And the ICC, whether it's actually got legitimacy or merit, you know, it's it, that's they're essentially the court that came after the Nuremberg trials, right? Or maybe they were the court that actually did the Nuremberg trials, but something along those lines where it's like, well, did the, did that really happen the way that it should have? There's a lot of murkiness not just to it. The, not just that. We also have to think as well of the, the, again, there's a difference between justification and rationalization. We're not justifying here, but we're rationalizing with respects to the potentially analogous sympathetic points one could make with the alternative perspective being at, at hand from that that view of um, the Philippines. Now, particularly the administration of the Philippines, I don't mean to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, you know, the people too. Again, the regime, not the people, to be fair. But what's interesting about this as well is to your point, Riel, uh, it's like we then have to ask about, in my humble opinion, to add to what you said, the media and outlets reporting on this pertaining to that of the perspective being taken on the reporting. Is it that, for example, I'm not saying this is the case here, but it has been the case in the past where many things have not been um, an overtly lie as reported, but a seemingly deliberate obfuscation of sorts in the sense that, okay, let's say the, the president of the Philippines says, well, we want to start our own court. For example, not saying that's the case, there have been cases in the past where certain world leaders would say something, and if it was not in line with that of the alleged overall narrative pertaining to an opposing continent or an adversarial, uh, a na uh, an adversarial nation's alleged, you know, collective agenda of sorts, 
it would be reported in a way of removing the sentence of, oh, we want to make our own court. And it would just be, look, they're not joining the courts. Now, that's a purely hypothetical example. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I think we have to also look at the, the we have to be able to know when we're drinking the Kool-Aid, even if we're drinking it, even if we started sipping it before we realized it, if that makes sense. That's, and again, you could even say, Dave, maybe you don't realize it. And I, I, to that, I say, yeah, that's a fair point too. So um, that, that's my two cents in this regard. The, right on. Yeah, I think that's sufficient. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. The next thing is that according to the Jerusalem Post, an investigation finds police did not use NSO's Pegasus uh, without court approval. The team did find that police had collected data they were not legally allowed to collect, although they did not use it. So again, this then speaks to me personally immediately for, uh, pertaining to the obfuscation and verbiage pertaining to that of the law right one it's a double-edged sword the beautiful thing about the law is how specific one could get but that's also the shitty thing pertaining to if you're trying to use that as a tool to to protect yourself relative to some actions you may have taken that may or may not have deemed to be illegal and i'm not saying that's the case here but i think we have to also look into the intricacies of that again okay did the police force where they found not guilty because you know although they collected data that ultimately they did not use because it was illegal to again collect to begin with that's when we start getting into a gray area right because then there's also the human angle of things to what extent we want does one want to um demonize the police force uh relative to that of the rest of how it how it's viewed uh amongst the masses Do, would that encourage unnecessary distrust in the people it, there there's never a clear-cut answer or at least very rarely so again without a hopefully taking uh, an emotional stance here that that's my two cents in this regard what happened with that data afterward how, how can we prove that say if they claim they genuinely quote-unquote shredded that data whether metaphorically or literally how can we prove they genuinely shredded it and it's it's not you know scuddied off to some uh, you know intel program of sorts that's completely unacknowledged per se i'm not saying that's the case here to be very clear but these are things that i think we should consider particularly given that at the end of the day whether you're a scientist a police officer a, an artist a p politician we're all human beings to me that speaks to the human angle of the system so that's just that's just my two cents real i i totally agree with you dave and you know we could go deep into the the pegasus software program but we're not going to but that is I just this one stuck out at stuck out to me in particular because of the context of the Pegasus program. And if for any of the audience members that aren't familiar, I recommend you just go search it up and just look into what the Pegasus software is and why this is that story <laughs> is significant. Uh, next up, we're going to CBC from uh, the Canadian Press. Tim Hortons proposes settlement in class action suits over data tracking app. And see the pair, the <laughs> conjunction between that story and this story. So the proposed settlement would offer free coffee and donuts to affected users. And this is just a silly. This this really isn't that important beyond well, our information is actually being is being monitored. But Tim Horton says it has reached a proposed settlement in multiple class action lawsuits alleging the restaurant's mobile app violated customer privacy, which would see the restaurant offer a free do coffee and donut to affected users. Can I jump in real quick? Actually, Please. as a matter of fact, I feel this story just so happens to add perfectly to what I was trying to convey just now about yep. the human angle of things in terms of, let's face it, this is not on the law, this is not on the books, but we all know that the way humans work is that they'll become generally become less upset about something. 
unless they're super upset about it, that's called, I guess you could say, passion in that regard. But putting that aside, generally humans will become more accepting when you offer them something to ease the tension of what they're trying to get over. And this seems to be that particular instance. So I, that's that to me, that speaks to that human angle. Not saying that's bad nor good, but we got to at least attempt to call it as it is, hopefully. Yes, and to add on to that, this story is a perfect parallel of what we just saw in Canada with Rogers, where the power went out. They actually, folks could not send financial transactions. They could, a lot of stuff was not able to occur, uh, like not being able to call 911 in the nation's capital, because I guess Rogers controls that uh, telecommunications. And their response is, well, we're going to give you a couple of dollars off in vouchers. Even though we, we messed up pretty bad, well, this is the same thing where Tim Hortons, they say that the settlement negotiated with the legal teams involved in the lawsuits still requires court approval, but the they're offering a free beverage and a baked good for illegally collecting your data. And it's like when a, a corporation crunches the numbers to see, well, should if we did these illegal things that we know we're going to get in trouble for, will we still make enough profit to make it worth it? And in this case, Tim Hortons was like, yeah, screw it. Sure, we'll give everybody a free coffee and free donut. They're Canadians. They won't care. They'll be happy with that coffee. And they really don't read the fine print on any apps. They don't, they're, they're asleep. So, and yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree uh, that's more. That's all I've got there. That's, I, I couldn't agree more. So I think that we actually, so that was the, that was the completion of the, the mainstream news articles. And now we're going to end the note on a few, about five or six, uh, uh, just updating on some scientific breakthroughs that are going on, according to Science Daily, who, which is our source for the latest research news, allegedly. Which is quite interesting because according to ScienceDaily.com, studies link COVID-19 to wildfire sales at Chinese market, find alternative scenarios extremely unlikely. Um, wildlife sales. Wildlife sales, right. And uh, see, I, um, for me, it's not about talking, getting, um, putting people in a corner with respects to, oh, I told you so, that where it came from. For me, it speaks to a grander aspect of understanding the the dissemination of we could say viruses overall relative to human behavior um psychological sociological anthropological um context and the reason i bring that up is because for me it's not about where did it start for me it, it personally it's about to what extent can we interpret data differently to then report and come to different conclusions on that data and this may in fact be one of those i'm not saying it is right nor i'm not i am saying it is incorrect either i'm just saying the interpretation of data can certainly lead to different forms of curation within the headlines of the news as to which um direction that is leaned in relative to fitting a narrative that's a different story but to, that that's what i see here when i look at this personally did you want to jump in at all real yeah, Dave, I actually disagree with you. Uh, this The concept of the origins of the virus, I think, is fundamentally crucial because depending on what we learn, it, it could mean that we've been lied to since the very beginning and that there has been deliberate suppression of information about the origins of this global health emergency concern, which destroyed the global economy. And this article is very subtle because I have a, I found this just from looking on science.com. This was not reported 
on any mainstream news outlet to, to my knowledge. And this is so important to me because as it says um, in the second paragraph of the study, the publications which have since gone through peer review and include additional analyses and conclusions virtually eliminate alternative scenarios that have been suggested as origins of the pandemic. Moreover, the authors conclude that the first spread to humans from animals likely occurred in two separate transmission events in the Hunan market in late November 2019. So if it turns out that it, it started in a wet lab in, in China, in Wuhan specifically, just a few kilometers outside of the Wuhan virology lab, then why has the Canadian government resisted so strongly with disclosing their, uh, the what happened at the Wuhan lab? Like there's a lot of stuff where it's like, if this is actually the truth, then why have they been struggling so hard to have an open conversation about it? You're basically saying the kid stole the cookie from the jar and when you confront the kid about it and ask him what's in his pocket, he doesn't show you what's in his pocket. If you got nothing to hide, why don't you show me? Right. And instead, they come up with this elaborate uh, study that shows, oh, well, actually, somebody came in in the middle of the night and stole those cookies and see the window was open. See over here. See over here. There's trails. But, you know, maybe all of that evidence was planted by the the kid. Your entire premise of your disagreement was absolutely, in my opinion, valid and probably outdid my justification <laughs> for dismissing it. So that right there, folks, for those either watching or listening, I think would be a prime example without seeming narcissistic of how one can have disagreements and find emergence between the disagreements in that regard. So I want to actually thank you, Riel, for genuinely disagreeing because I say, you know what, now that you've brought up your perspective, it's like, hmm. You've given me more context now that I wasn't familiar with just two minutes ago. So yeah, thank right you. Um, You're very welcome, Dave. <laughs> no problem. Is this yours, this story, or mine? Uh, that is yours. Thank you. Okay, so according to Science Daily, again, a nanorobot built entirely from DNA to explore cell processes. Um, we see here that there was a constructing a tiny robot from DNA and using it to study cell processes have uh, are invisible to the naked eye. Um, again... We see here that it is in fact the subject of serious research. This highly innovative nanorobot should enable closer study of the mechanical forces applied at macroscopic levels, which are crucial for many biological and pathological processes. Um, again, I think that ultimately what we're seeing here is, it's a multi-pronged perspective to take here. If Again, the way I see it from a macro perspective, larger angle, I guess, is that a tool is being developed. Who's developing the tool? With what intent and why? Very simple. Whether it's nanorobots, whether it's chips and brains, whether it's you name it. That that's that's where I go in every I think for me personally, looking at those core questions pertaining to this, I think that is what we have to look at from a grander scale for those that are saying, okay, how can I interpret a larger, a potentially larger plan at play? And again, that plan does not necessarily have to be negative although in the reality we live in it seems to be in my opinion far more malevolent than benevolent but again those are my two cents why how where for what that that's usually where i go absolutely i i totally agree uh and i just f find it interesting that to to incorporate the scientific breakthroughs in, in the kraken and yeah the the whole concept of like nano robots built entirely from dna this it sounds so science fiction, but like oh no, here it is. It's right there. This is a uh, groundbreaking science that we're working on. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> okay, so uh, next one we've got quantum cryptography. Uh, an international team has successfully implemented an advanced form of quantum 
cryptography for the first time. How, moreover, encryption is independent of the quantum device used and therefore even more secure against hacking attempts. And to be honest, I don't even really know what this is about, Dave. Maybe you could enlighten us on what it means to do quantum okay. cryptography. So in my humble perspective, what we're seeing here is the, um, again, the use or and, and possibly deliberate use of the abuse of the verbiage of the words quantum and, and all of this. And I think specifically quantum here, um, again, actually, it says it uh right here in the article and i quote quantum key distribution as the jargon has it is secure against attacks on the communication channel but not against attacks or on or manipulations of the devices themselves now we see here of course according again to science daily in the same story same context the internet is teeming with highly sensitive information sophisticated encryption te techniques generally ensure that such content cannot be intercepted and read but in the future high performance quantum computers could crack these keys in a matter of seconds it is just as well then that quantum mechanical techniques not only enable new much faster algorithms but also exceedingly effective cryptography basically if we were to put this in in my humble interpretation in this regard is think about a stack of books um basically the book on the top stack the top of that stack is the i guess what has always been the way that one could get to the rest of the books by removing the one on the top to get to the rest and removing the next one then the next and the next as i interpret this in a visual sense in an attempt to depict for the audience someone has or something has developed a way um to surpass or not need to open uh, remove the top part uh, the top book from the stack in order to get to the rest if in, in oh that's how beautiful. i gather it okay, i could okay. i could wow. i could be incorrect or or it's either that and slash or um these quantum um enablements allow for that top book to be removed quicker than ever because the amount of possibilities that could have occurred relative to the computation power the computation power of quantum computers have the ability to we could say uh, project a handful of potential outcomes that the quantum computers then in real time, very avidly, very quickly, within a matter of less than a second, I think, select the most appropriate or mathematically probable outcome to then find a way into that stack of books. That's I could be very wrong. That's how I interpret it as, but that's what I uh, that's what I see here when we see quantum cryptography. Right on. Okay. Well, that was a little more of a complicated story, but hey, that's uh, this. We also have to report on all faucets of what's going on in the world, not just the the geopolitical landscape of things but yeah it's up to you now all right so again we have here again according to science daily the and i really appreciate you including this uh this story here Riel. a material known as cubic boron arsenide has two major advantages over silicone research shows it provides high mobility to both electrons and holes and it has an excellent thermal conductivity it is the researchers say the best semiconductor material ever found Interesting. Again, the source is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Again, I don't mean to make leaps and bounds in, in some correlations here, but we see, for example, make of Mr. Bob Lazar, as you will, 
he had claims that, you know, again, and many have also said, to be fair, there are reasons to be skeptical of those claims, but he claimed that he did some interesting things at MIT pertaining to some off-the-books um, experimentation, forms of academic pursuit, or rather um, intellectual pursuit, uh, irrespective of that of a formal college course or something like this. We know, for example, MIT's had its fair share in history pertaining to um, Nikola Tesla, uh, John Trump, all of this, and I will... Um, I'll just leave it there because again we we can we can we can speculate on and on as to the as with respects to the different um the different routes or paths this could take relative to the surface level narrative compared to that of what really may occur have occurred behind the scenes relative to this discovery. Now it may be that this discovery is being reported as it actually occurred, but these are things that I think we should question nonetheless or be skeptical of at the very least. Uh, did you want to jump in at all, Real? Absolutely, because the context of this article from July 21st, the United States Senate just passed a bill where they are going to start manufacturing, uh, I think it was like semiconductor chips, because isn't that the whole thing where there's a shortage of them? So to uh, to become more independent on the global market, the United States is passing a bill to fund research into semiconductors and producing their own, as well as we learned that Nancy Pelosi's husband dumped all of his stocks from one company and then bought, and arguably it was reported as potential insider trading because he did this right before the bill was passed. And so to find the context of what's going on in the scientific community where they just said, we just found the best semiconductor of all. Oh well, that's good timing to make a bunch of money on this. Uh, how on this dare you? Endeavor. How dare you make those correlations, Riel? How dare you? That's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I don't think you should be making those correlations. You don't know what you're talking about. Get out of my face. For those listening or watching, that is just, again, me being completely sarcastic, particularly uh, being analogous to that of a recent members episode we did comparing the concept of scientific method um, being uh, dirtied by dogma, stigma, and, and attacks. So, again, um, very fantastic point. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, this one's yours? Yes, and this is actually going to be our last one of the day. Perfect. And uh, hey, man, it's been a pleasure to do this. I, I'm having so much fun, Dave. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to even like have filled in for you and become a uh, partner alongside you. But this story is from July 21st. Why Jupiter doesn't have rings like Saturn? Because the gigantic moons prevent giant icy ring formations. Um, and this is fascinating to me because the pictures that we just saw of of Jupiter from the from the James Webb telescope to me actually did show rings around the planet so i'm a little curious as to why they say that there aren't any rings but this yeah i just wanted to bring this up because this is what the mainstream scientific community is they're asking why jupiter doesn't have rings like saturn because Gigantic moons prevent giant icy ring formation, but that kind of contradicts the actual physical evidence that we're looking at. And uh, my speculation might be a little off, but that's just, that's really all I wanted to bring up with, with this story. I could not agree with you more, brother. And yeah, I mean, it's something that is really... You, I think we could do a whole deep dive just on this article alone, to be honest with you, but mm -hmm. because it's a mm -hmm. kraken and all that, we'll definitely leave that there and... 
honestly, I have nothing really to add because my mind goes precisely to where your mind goes in the same regard. So without further ado, folks, we'd like to thank all of you for watching and or listening. It's been an absolutely incredible collaboration and, and opportunity to collaborate with Riel. Let us know in the comments for those on YouTube if you really uh, enjoyed this collaboration as much as we did. And Riel, if you'd like to say bye to everyone. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, I would especially love to hear if anybody's got con uh, comments on the uh, quantum uh, cryptography to maybe you can give us some insight into what's going on. Let us know your thoughts on what you think about with uh, Pelosi, with Russia, with any of those situations, any of these stories. We love the engagement. And yeah, uh, we'll be uh, seeing you all very soon.